This morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through to 9, the parable of the barren fig tree. Luke chapter 13, verse 6. He spoke also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Amen. As we consider this parable about a barren fig tree, right from the beginning, the application will probably be easy enough to understand. It is about repentance. The verses leading up to this morning's passage make that very clear. Where Jesus said in verse 3, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And in verse 5 he said, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And that same theme continues. Again, it's a, the message is one of repentance. If you were to look at Matthew chapter 21 and verse 19, you would see that fig trees grew wild in that part of the world. They just grew at the roadside or anywhere. But the fig tree that is spoken of in this parable wasn't wild at all. It had actually been planted, and not just any old where, it had been planted in a vineyard. Presumably it was taking up good, fertile soil and precious space in the owner's vineyard, yet still it was without fruit. Even after three years, as it is written in verse 6, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. In the first instance, the vineyard can be seen to be the Jewish nation and the owner is God. For example, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through to 7, that passage is about a vineyard in which a vine brought forth worthless grapes and that passage is clearly about the Jews. In those verses, in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, it is written, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved have a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it. And also made a wine press therein, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth 
wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, or therefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, it shall be not be pruned, nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. So you see that passage in Isaiah, the vineyard owner is the Lord, and the vineyard is the house of Israel, the men of Judah. Coming back to Luke's gospel, assuming that the vineyard in this parable is, in the first instance, the Jewish nation, I say in the first instance, the Jewish nation, then the fig tree represents Jerusalem. When you consider the preceding verses where Jesus said in verses 4 and 5, or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell, the tower in Siloam is in Jerusalem, and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. In those verses, Jesus extended the fate of 18 Jerusalemites to all. It was a warning to all unrepentant inhabitants of Jerusalem and the Jewish people as a whole. They were being warned to repent and bring forth fruit, the fruit of repentance. Therefore, what can be seen in verse 6 in our passage today is the owner of the vineyard, God, coming to the Jews and finding no fruit of repentance in them. I say in them because, let's face it, a person might be able to put on a good show of being a Christian, when the reality is that he has never shown godly sorrow, which worketh repentance unto salvation. And although it might fool others, God can see through the hypocrisy and the pretense. God looks at the heart and the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. As has already been seen in previous verses, the scribes and the Pharisees were masters of play-acting. However, Jesus, who is able to see through all the uh, the pretense, Jesus, who is able to see into the heart, said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are liked unto whited sepulchres or whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outside, but are within full of dead men's bones 
and of all uncleanness. That was the condition of the religious Jews, the scribes, the Pharisees, like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the inside, on the outside, but full of wickedness inside. And that can be extended to the stiff-necked Jewish nation. And I wonder, who amongst us is any different to those pretenders? Let's look again at verses 7 and through to 9. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. If we continue to look at this parable with an understanding that the owner of the vineyard is God, then the vine dresser can be seen to be his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God have sent into the world. As for the beginning of the three years, that would have been around the time when John the Baptist came preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ, when John was calling on the Jews to repent. For example, in chapter 3, verse 7 through to 9, John said, O generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit, is hewn down, cut down and cast into the fire. That was the message of John the Baptist. A very powerful message calling on the Jews to repent. And during the three years of public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he also called on the Jews to repent. For example, in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it is written, Now after that John was put in prison, as John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Therefore, what we have in verse 7 is notice of judgment upon the Jews. Because over the past three years, God had sought the fruit of repentance from them and he found none. What an indictment on the Jewish nation that had received so much from God over so many years. What a terrible indictment on the Jews that was, that despite John the Baptist preparing the hearts of the Jews for the coming of the promised Messiah, 
by calling on on them to repent. And despite Jesus himself calling on them to repent and believe the gospel, God nevertheless found no fruit of repentance in them. In verse 8 in our passage, the vine dresser said to the owner, let, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. In other words, Jesus, he made intercession for the Jews, asking for another year of grace. The very fact that the vine dresser addressed the owner as Lord ought to dismiss any ideas that you might have that there was any conflict or any disunity between God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not as if Jesus was opposing God's judgment upon unrepentant sinners. That's very clear in verse 9, where Jesus said, And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that, thou shall cut it down. That's what he said to the owner. Thou shall cut it down. But it's as well to appreciate who it is who actually does the cutting down. It's Jesus. When Jesus says, thou shall cut it down, he shall cut it down, Jesus shall. God has committed all judgment to his son. For example, in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 30, Jesus was talking about when he shall come again, in judgment, which he refers to as the harvest, and he said, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Jesus will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares, that's the weeds, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. In case you hadn't worked it out, the wheat of all who have shown repentance towards God and faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. In that same passage in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus refers to the wheat as the children of the kingdom. As for the tares or the weeds, they are the children of the wicked one. But it is Jesus who issues the orders to the um, to the angels to gather the, up the wheat into his barn and to burn the weeds in fire. So again I say, don't imagine for one moment that Jesus was opposing his father's judgment upon unrepentant sinners and that Jesus is soft on sinners. Jesus most certainly is not soft on sinners. In verse 8, the vine dresser asked the vineyard owner for more time to work on that fig tree, during which time he would dig about it and dung it. In other words, he would fertilise the soil and feed the soil with manure. By way of application, there was still some time left before Jesus would sacrificially lay down his life for repentant sinners and ascend to heavenly glory. And during that time, 
he would continue to preach repentance for sins to the Jews. Then, just prior to his ascension to glory, Jesus would give the following commission to his apostles and beyond that to the church. And this is what Jesus said. Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins or forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus still was not finished with Jerusalem. The the message should be that, that message of repentance and remission of sins should be preached to Jerusalem and beyond. Then on the day of Pentecost, just days after the ascension of Jesus to the throne of God, the Apostle Peter preached a message of what? A message of repentance to all the Jews who had assembled in Jerusalem. And on that day, about 3,000 of them were baptised and added to the church. The Jews continued to be called upon to be to repent and to believe the gospel. But more and more, repentance and remission of sins would also be preached to others, to all nations. It helps me to remember this parable that we're considering this morning. When I think of the digging as God's law being proclaimed, stirring up the conscience and inducing repentance, a change of mind, a coming to one's senses. That's what we see there in verse 8. The dresser of the vineyard which I'm saying is the Lord Jesus Christ. He answering said unto him, unto the Lord, unto God, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig it and dung it. And that digging again, it's the proclamation of the law, stirring up the conscience and inducing repentance. As for the dunging there, that we see in verse 8, for me that speaks of food for hungry souls. That is the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. I hasten to add that I'm not the only one who sees the digging and the dunging in such a way. The Bible commentator, John Gill, I think I'll hide behind his comment here. This is what Gill said. And by these phrases may be signified the various means Christ made use of by his own ministry and by the ministry of his apostles to make the Jews a fruitful people and rather the means Christ's ministers make use of, as did the apostles, with the Jews to reach the cases of barren professors as by digging, striking at and exposing some secret sin or sins which are the root and source of their barrenness, showing them that they have no root in Christ, nor the root of the matter in them, and declaring to them the insufficiency of a a mere profession of religion to save them. 
So that's the, that's the digging there. It's the law. It's digging deep and exposing sin. And dunging, which, it, which as it supposes want of heat or coldness, which is the cause of barrenness and signifies that such professors are without spiritual life and without spiritual heat or real warmth of love to Christ. His truths, ordinances, and people, and discharge their duty in a cold and lifeless manner. So uh, so it may design the means they make use of to warm and fire them with zeal for God and true religion by preaching the soul-quickening doctrines of the gospel and by laying before them the agreeableness of a becoming zeal and the disagreeableness of a lukewarm spirit and disposition, and indolence, and unconcern for the glory of God and interest of Christ. I rest my case. Similarly, when I think of another parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we looked at that not so long ago, the parable of the Good Samaritan, I think about what was applied to the wounds of the man who had been robbed and left for dead. Can you remember what was applied to his wounds? The man who was left for dead. Two things. Oil and something else. Yeah, oil and wine. Oil and wine. That helps me to advance from the earthly story to a spiritual application. As I imagine the stinging pain of the wine being applied to the wounds and the relief of having that soothing oil applied to them for me it speaks of the stinging pain of being convicted of sins sins being unearthed exposed sins against a holy and righteous God through being brought to repentance by God's holy law and also it speaks of the tremendous relief and joy that the gospel of Christ brings the founder of the Daily Bread, Dr. Dahan. He influenced my understanding of the Good Samaritan some 13 years ago when at my baptism I was given a cassette tape on which Dahan preached about the Good Samaritan. So I'll hide behind him now. Before becoming a Christian, I used to get weekly visits from an elderly JW. But all I ever got from him was digging and wine. Digging and wine. I never got the dung and I never got the oil. In other words, whilst he kept showing me what a dreadful man I was, he never proclaimed to me the soothing and oh-so-sweet gospel of Christ. And that's hardly surprising when you consider that his, his is a religion of works. A religion that disregards the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. Disregards Jesus, the Son of God. It has been noted by the commentators that we're not told if the fig tree ever did bring forth the fruit of repentance. But, as I've already mentioned, about about 3,000 Jews did repent on the day of Pentecost, soon after the ascension of Jesus to heavenly glory. Also, 
Other Jews have mourned for the one that they pierced and have been graciously and wonderfully saved over the years. But as a nation, they have remained a stiff-necked and unrepentant people. Finally, there's a much wider application to the parable of the fig tree when you consider that that tree can just as easily be seen to be an apostate church, one that has forsaken Bible truth, one that needs to repent. There are plenty of those churches around and one of them's not far from us. There's a church nearby that has in its garden an evolutionary nature trail. And it also promotes the LGBT. We pray for revival in the churches, don't we? When perhaps we ought to be praying for repentance in the churches. But ultimately, you do well to ask yourself, am I that barren fig tree? Do I bring forth the fruit of repentance? Or are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit as a new creature in Christ? Our first reading, we looked at John chapter 15, where in that uh, passage, Jesus declares himself to be the true vine. And all who are savingly united to Jesus, they will bring forth the fruit of repentance. Good fruit as branches connected to the true vine, the main stem, drawing on his grace continually. Continually trusting in him every moment of every day. For everything they do. Having repented. When they became Christians. And continuing to do so. It's not a one off event. Yeah I repented 30 years ago. So what? It's continual. For the person who is in Christ. Trusting in him. Repenting of their sins repent be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins how wonderful that is truly wonderful the most wonderful thing there is to belong to Jesus as a repentant sinner acknowledging that without him you are nothing but in him, you are more than a conqueror. Saved by the grace of God. And there's nothing that can ever separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Amen. Now our Lord Jesus Christ, himself and God, even our Father, which have loved us, and have given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word 
and work. Amen.